Hey guys, it's Katie and Mandy. Welcome to the Dirty Britches Minisode. We're going to do another mini-sode. Look at us. Um, <laughs> I'm so <laughs> proud. I put mini in quotes because who knows, these sometimes stretch on a little bit. But I, uh, I realized, yes, today is March 2nd in the mm-hmm. year of our Lord 2022. And <laughs> I just panicked for a second. Like, is it 2022? Is that even know, right? Do you have that problem? Yep, all the time. <laughs> Like what day? It's not still year? 2020. It's not, I don't know. It all runs together. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> but I realized yesterday, oh, it's the start of Women's History Month. And I have been tweeting a little bit to just lift up the historians that we've been learning so much from and just, you know, wanting to like attend to that month. And then I realized I have no idea where the history of Women's History Month comes from. Yeah. So I started to look mm-hmm. into it, and I know this will not surprise you, but guess who's involved? White women. White feminist ladies. <laughs> uh, I will yeah. say there's, I I mean, who knows? Maybe if I'd had more time and I was looking at different sources, I could kick up more shit. This is like less, I don't know, maybe less obvious, but there definitely, um, there are reasons to just be like a little bit not skeptical of it, but I also, I want to pose this question to you and maybe we circle back to it at the end because I have a couple different opinions, like expert opinions about this, but okay. you know, should we have women's history month? Like what's that? All, what do we think about that? What's that all about? Um, and there are, I think various reasons why you might be excited about it and various reasons you might be concerned about it. And one person could hold both sets of concerns. I think I am yeah. one of those people actually. So uh, okay, so I'm going to start off. Um, there was a National Geographic article uh, from a little while ago by Erin Blakemore called How Women Claim Their Place in America's History Books. And she starts out saying, you know, for a long time, it was just pretty much white dudes who had who were like formal academic historian people. Um, and most of them were like misogynist, racist, or, you know, just yeah. That's kind of like the classic argument is it's just like white men studying other white men. And it's Mm -hmm. not it's more complex than that for sure. And actually, I'm going to get into that a little bit. But um, she acknowledges a couple of women historians who were like initially doing like a little bit. But of course, it was one of them. Eleanor Flexner was focused on the suffrage movement. It's a book that came out in 1959. So whenever I see that someone's like, yay, women's history, the suffrage movement, and it's a white woman telling that story. I'm always just mm-hmm. a little like, oh, that, that's yeah. not necessarily something we want to cheer for. Um, then the very first master's degree program in women's history was started at Sarah Lawrence College. And then Cal Sonoma State University had one of the first women's studies programs in the 1970s. And it actually made me think back to our very first expert interview with Sally Rush Wagner. Remember, she was mm-hmm. one of the first women to get a PhD in women's studies. So really it kind of maps on nicely to what we're doing with, with the history of white feminism in particular, like the sixties and the seventies being this time where there, there was like energy around developing women's studies, advocating for that as like a discipline worthy of inquiry um, that, that has a lot to be excited about, but 
also you have to just be so, so careful that it doesn't slip into like white, cis, het, straight, you know, middle-class yeah. women that it becomes their stories that are centered then. So in the seventies, there is a woman, Molly Murphy McGregor. Do you think she's white? Mm. <laughs> I can't tell. <laughs> I was like, I don't think I've ever seen a more Irish name in my entire yeah. life. Molly Murphy Although, McGregor. I mean, listen, we've talked about this and it come up like back in the early when industrial area, like, Irish immigrants were not necessarily considered white. Weren't like considered they white. Been, totally. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Totally. And I know, like, that. you don't, I know I shouldn't make assumptions based on names because there are lots of reasons why people have the names that they have. So I shouldn't even make a joke about it. But of but course, still. in my head, I was like, well, that's an Irish Catholic girl <laughs> if ever I've met one. Okay. So <laughs> anyway, she um, was teaching high school in Santa Rosa, California. And was really like a social studies teacher and was really passionate just herself in thinking about wanting to incorporate more women's history. And apparently a student asked her to define the women's movement. And so she really like wanted to learn more about it and, and incorporate more about women in her classes. So she goes back through her college textbooks and is super pissed that when she's like trying to find information about women, um, she can't. Um, mm -hmm. So she puts together a slideshow on the history of American women in politics. This is like the 1970s. So I, I don't know technologically what a slideshow looked like. I'm picturing like <laughs> literal Actual little squares little, yeah, that, you that you put, put into in a like a machine round and thing. Click, click, and you go. Yeah. Do you remember mm -hmm. those? Yeah. My dad has like a million slides. He worked in TV for a long time, like as an anchorman and then like a photographer kind of on the side. And so in the, in the 80s, all we had at our house were those like slide decks, you know, and mm -hmm. when we'd go on vacation, he'd be like, I want to show you all my slides. You're like, oh, geez, <laughs> no, thanks. Um, so yeah, I'm, that's the kind of slideshow I'm picturing. I don't know, but she, in it, she had um, information about women in politics, environmental activism, like Rachel Carson kind of work some abolitionist movement stuff. And then it, people really wanted to learn more, but like her students were excited. Community groups got excited. She then joins the Sonoma County commission on the status of women, which was created in 1875, like a local commission, county commission tasked with eliminating gender discrimination and prejudice. Wow. That's, <laughs> Good luck. That's county commission. <laughs> what do you no. got? Like four weeks or <laughs> yeah and like a budget of 150 dollars. you can right. do it um so it's actually kind of amazing what comes out of this commission but um part of what they were focused on too was to help the sonoran county schools comply with title nine of the 1972 like one of the amendments um in 1972 that protected people from sex discrimination in any, any educational program that received federal money, which my yeah. modern mind read that and was like, who's wanting to sue states that have divisive concepts bills on a, as a title nine violation. I had never really mm -hmm. thought of that. I'm sure someone much smarter than me is working on that, but if someone's mm -hmm. a lawyer and they want to look into that and get back to us, that'd be great. Um, so she was saying that the lack of women's, the lack of information about women in education materials actually constituted a Title IX violation. And um, they, it, one of the stats that I read was that at this time in the 70s, early 80s, no more than 3% of the history textbooks was content devoted to women. I'm not exactly sure how they 
people came up with a stat like that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't surprise me having taught right. history myself in high school and being familiar with the textbooks that are largely garbage. Not all of them, but most of them are trash. So uh, <laughs> this commission, she's like working on that. And then she's got friends. <laughs> that sounds terrible. She has friends. Yeah, but she with uh, a few of her friends in Santa Rosa, um, Mary Ruth's daughter, Mar- Maria Cuevas, Paula Hammett, and Betty Morgan, Bet Morgan, I'm not sure, B-E-T-T-E, um, they got together and created uh, what they called the National Women's History Project, and they wanted to broadcast women's historical achievements, like get the word out there. And this was one of their mottos, I guess, missions. We are retelling history and changing the future. We believe that knowing women's history gives all of us, female and male, the power and inspiration to succeed. We believe that our history is our strength. Uh, And they had a Women's History Week that they timed with International Women's Day on March 8th, which I didn't have time to look into what the history of International Women's Day was. So maybe I'll look into that more for next week. But Mm -hmm. um, they had a parade, this like presentation of slides. Uh, They distributed curriculum to schools and it was um, to some degree successful. Like people, there were people who wanted it. Of course, there were also people who hate it, who called them. Molly um, remembered them saying that these are just self-serving men haters. Of course. Distributing curriculum. Fall back. (laughs) Which seems like a good reminder today. Like, you know, thinking of Black Lives Matter at schools or efforts to push back against book bans where like nonprofit groups or community groups are trying to distribute curricular resources that these far right or not even that far right groups mm-hmm. are like, Mainstream this now. is <laughs> this this is trash. You know, like, mm-hmm. no, this is of course, that's what people are going to say it is. And it's not. OK, so they have that event. And then there is like, I don't know. Shortly thereafter, there's uh, maybe within that year, there's an Institute in Women's History for Leaders of National Women's Organizations that was put on at Sarah Lawrence College, which, if you remember, was the first master's degree program. And the historian who spearheaded all of that is this woman, Gerda Lerner, who put a pin in her name because we do not have time to get into her absolutely fascinating life. But Hmm. she's someone I would love to actually ask Kate Schatz about and have like a deep dive into this woman's life because from what I could read, she sounded like a not shitty white woman. So she's putting together this summer Institute that has all of these women coming together. It was for over a week, like two weeks in July that they were on the campus of Sarah Lawrence, all these women like organizers, and they had these seminars to learn um, about women in relationship to family, the economy, and political life. And then they worked in small groups to develop projects that their organizations could use. And I don't know a ton about who all was invited or like the, the diversity in all sorts yeah. of ways of who was at this event. So apologies. Um, but um, it was sponsored by a group called the women's action Alliance with funding from the Lilly endowment and the cooperation of the Smithsonian institution um, as well as Sarah Lawrence. And side note, there was some controversy about this event because the Lilly endowment is the charitable arm of the Eli Lilly drug company. Mm -hmm. And at the time there was pushback against this Institute for, for using grant money from this foundation because critics said it was guilt money um, because the, Eli Lilly had been knowingly marketing this drug DES, which was a synthetic estrogen mm-hmm. 
that was being caused birth um, defects. Yes, like pregnant mm-hmm. women were told to take it to prevent miscarriage, but mm-hmm. then they found out that it caused like cervical vaginal cancer in in the in utero to the babies that grew up later. Mm-hmm. Um breast cancer too, like really tragic and sad. So they were like outed as knowingly marketing this dangerous drug for these purposes that were not good. And so critics of this said, well, don't accept this like blood money from this foundation, mm-hmm. but, uh, and wanted the scholars and activists to return the funds and denounce the pharmaceutical company. But ultimately they kept the money and used it to go to Washington and lobby for the presidential declaration of the first national women's history week. So at this Institute, Molly has this presentation and she says like, we want there to be a national women's history week. This is what we did in our look, like our local area. And it, went really well. And we think this should be something that everybody does. And so then that larger institute helped get it onto the agenda of President Jimmy Carter, who made it official in 1980. Um, And so Molly is remembering this week. um, And she's saying that it was actually like a really pretty easy sell to the Women's Action Alliance, that they had copies of her curriculum and organizing guides and the commemorative posters designed for Women's History Week in Sonoma County. And people were really excited. Um, and then it, Pam Elam and Peggy Pasco helped to lobby to get it onto Jimmy Carter's radar. Sarah Weddington was his assistant for women's affairs. And then Carter calls her up and is like, we're going to do it. And then there's been a presidential proclamation in 1980 and every president has since done the same. And actually I read the presidential proclamation this like this month Mm -hmm. um, from Joe Biden. And it really, it it was really interesting because I think you can tell whoever's behind the writing of that is trying really hard to reflect more intersectional politics. Um, Talking about trans women, talking about native women, talking about like labor issues, childcare issues. Um, I, I, it's worth a read for sure. We can link to it in the show notes. So Jimmy Carter is my question is though, did Trump have a presidential proclamation on women's month? That's the one that I want to read right now. Petty detective (laughs) that shit. God, the way your mind works is so great. I'm just like, oh proclamation sounds good. And you're like, what? Yeah. Did you find it? See what the pussy grabber in chief had to say. about um yeah and i you know obviously like just browsing this it is available um on the trump white house archives for women's history month of 2020 i'm sure he had others but i'm just reading the verbiage he clearly didn't fucking write this at all (laughs) because there's far more words in this than he understands and it's way too coherent um Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't see anything like immediately in there. He's just talking about the tax credits that he got for families, um, for paid family leave. Mm -hmm. Oh, tax credits for employers who offer paid family leave, not necessarily for Mm. women themselves. Mm. Um, And then just talks about women pioneers, blah, 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 blah. Well, I see, I don't know if we're reading the same one. Are you reading 2020? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he does shout out Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony yeah, he does, as pioneer course, right and away. uses the word pioneers. So to me right there, it's like red flag, red flag, red flag versus yeah. I, not to say that I like 100 percent endorse the one this year, but the it starts out immediately talking about Native women as the first women it mentions. So 
That is interesting. Um, Francis yeah. Perkins. Oh, interesting. Claire Booth Luce. Oh, yeah. Bessie it's just like Coleman. a bunch of random. Like, yeah. part of me is like, yeah. why shout out just like random women? But okay. Uh, he probably got it out of um, Romney's binders of women. He just pulled. Oh, maybe yes. Somebody get the binders. <laughs> get the. Do you remember the too, woman binder? Did, didn't he say something about like I'll have to check with Frederick Douglass that he thought he was still alive? Oh so yeah, he got this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to look up what the actual uh, quote was. Um, huh. Well, um, okay. I mean, you know, it's there. I don't think he had anything it's to there. do with it. He probably just signed it. Anyway, well, so therefore, it it sounds like it much like the pardoning of a turkey is just expected in a bipartisan mm-hmm. way that presidents will do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so the it was initially like a week, March second to eighth, and President Carter said, "Understanding the true history of our country will help us to comprehend the need for full equality under the law for all our people." But I was also remembering when we learned about the statue commemorating the suffrage movement that's in that was in the basement of the Capitol oh, yeah. that got moved up um mm-hmm. that carter was part like all of this was happening kind of at the same time and i think so much of it was couched in honoring the suffrage movement as narrated by susan b anthony yeah so it, it there's just some reasons to be like okay okay wait 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 pump the brakes a little bit the like foundation's this... a little shaky mm-hmm. exactly yeah. Um, 1981, Barbara Mikulski, a Democrat from Maryland, and Orrin Hatch, Republican from Utah, sponsored a bipartisan bill. <laughs> Orrin Hatch I didn't want to. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't want to be like, "Hey, Mormon friend, what are your thoughts on Orrin Hatch?" But I already know. Also, is why I didn't ask. Um, they have a bipartisan bill to declare March 8th National Women's History Week, and then in 1987 is when it becomes a month. And there were some states that had already expanded that so there was you know like a revving up um clinton in the 90s had initiatives to find hidden women which i could not help but think of like a snarky gross <laughs> joke about but i'll just sidestep that you can think of one in your head um and then the group that was behind this the national women's history alliance i think was i can't remember all of these acronyms now it's just too i was going to say it's too late in the week but it's only wednesday that's not really an excuse oh the national women's history (laughs) project um becomes the national women's history alliance and they are still in existence they've got uh like a board of directors i was trying to look up a little bit more information and it's not all white women. It's mostly white women from what I could tell, but um, it's the only clearinghouse providing information and training in multicultural women's history for educators, community organizations, and parents for anyone wanting to expand their understanding of women's contributions to U.S. history. We promote a multicultural women's history perspective by honoring women of diverse cultural, ethnic, occupational, racial, class, and regional backgrounds. Um, So I don't know. I mean, check it out. Again, I think from what I could tell, there still is like a pretty like strong drumbeat of this white liberal suffrage kind of foundation, but not entirely. Like Maria Elena Cuevas was one of the founders and she helped with this film Adelante Mujeres that I was trying to figure out. It looks like you can get it through your libraries, but like a res- mm. um, resources about um, Latinx women in the United States uh, so I don't know. I mean, it's it, like I said, I haven't looked into it that much, but I thought, well, that's an organization that I would like to look more into that is behind the Women's History Month. However, 
there are some critics of this and it's similar to criticisms of any like heritage month for there's lots of different ethnic yeah. heritage months and um one of the kind of classic criticisms i think is if you have it as its own month then it lets people off the hook for doing the it any other year. time of the year right. and it makes it seem like it is something that can be separated from everything else when it can't yeah. be like yeah. um so there's a, nancy goldstone wrote an article about it in time she's a historian and said She's opposed to it as a historian of women. And she says a good part of the reason for this is that we've allowed ourselves to be contented with the sop of parallel studies and a single month devoted to women's achievements. It takes the heat off conservative academics who think that female influence is overrated. And then in any event, there's no need to incorporate these figures further as a separate discipline exists to address this subject. So what mm-hmm. looks like inclusion is actually exclusion. Yeah. And I think that's valid. Like, yeah, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't disagree i still think there is reason and use for um having like a specific spotlight on something see i don't i don't see it as like an either or but i get why when it comes to programming or funding it might end up being an either or um there was a really interesting article from aaron spencer in the new york times last year for women's history month where um she interviewed women asking about their, like, kind of asking about this criticism, like, what's your take on Women's History Month? Um, So Deb Holland, is that how you say her last name? She's the Secretary of the Interior? I think so. Mm. So she's Laguna Pueblo, and she was asked about, what, like, what do you think about Women's History Month? And she said, uh, women are fierce. We break barriers, run companies, make scientific discoveries, raise families, and lift each other up. But the fact is, discriminatory policies blocked women from fully participating in our country for generations. It led to disparities in wages, representation, and opportunities we're still tackling. Though we have more Native women serving in Congress, a woman of color in the vice president's office, and women making moves across the country, we still have to recognize that the disadvantages we face are created by a system designed to keep us out and that coupled with systemic racism makes women's history month all the more important um angela sesenia is director of latina safe house and she said that women's history month gives her hope um she's thought a lot about women's history month intersectional feminism the incredible work that courageous women have done and the work that still lies ahead there needs to be more representation and inclusion in celebrations of women's history month i would like to see more actionable items from community leaders corporations and legislators that promote equity and equal rights um dr anika denny i hope i'm saying her name right n-n-e-k-a-d-e-n-n-i-e co-founder of the black women's studies association She said, I see this perhaps less as a moment of celebration and more as a moment of acknowledgement. We need to acknowledge the unique forms of violence that trans women face. We need to acknowledge how incarcerated women and women immigrants detained at the border are experiencing a reproductive crisis. We need to acknowledge that raising the minimum wage to $15 will more effectively support working mothers. Celebrations are fine, but celebrating doesn't mean we've crossed the finish line. And then um, Patrice Cullors, co-founder of the Black Lives Matter movement, said, We celebrate despite the obstacles we face. Our joy and celebration is an act of resistance. This month is a reminder to continuously celebrate each other, lift each other up, and bring those frequently left behind along with us. Historically, celebrations of women were not celebrations of all women. Black women, Black queer women, Black trans women, Black poor women, Black disabled women. Let's do what generations prior either didn't know or didn't care to do and celebrate all Black women of past, present, and future. So I I have have a little bit more, but I want to know what you think. Oh, I was just going to say it. That makes me think I have to shout out my elementary school, although I won't say the name. I don't know. I should probably <laughs> say like, here's where you can find my kids. Um, oh, right. <laughs> but the elementary school my kids go to is like really been kind of refreshing because it's 
especially in this day and age of all of like the anti-diversity, anti-CRT mm. stuff, um, they're fairly progressive. I mean, it's named after a black woman and she's still living and she's very involved in the school. So that probably mm. has something to do with it. But our mm. principal also has been very, very supportive of like diversity, equity, inclusion type efforts. And so um, I'm on the PTA committee for DEI and they like sent out something saying we need to do a bulletin board for Women's History Month. And I was like, they wanted us each to pick a name. I was like, God help me if anybody says Susan B. Anthony or anybody <laughs> else from this, I'll lose my mind. But I have to say, like, I was very, very impressed with like the women that people wanted to highlight and like mm. what they ended up coming up with. There was everyone like... Fannie Lou Hamer, um, Kathy Williams, who was like the first African-American soldier in the Civil War, hmm. a female African-American soldier, like um, Billie Jean King, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Sonia Sotomayor, and like even Kentaji Brown Jackson, who was just nominated for the Supreme Court by Joe Biden, ended up being on the list of people on the bulletin board. I was like, that's really like heartening to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. have all of this diversity on there and like, you know representing like Billie Jean King who came out as a lesbian well she was actually outed as a lesbian in tennis and um hmm. you know all of that kind of stuff in the elementary school I think was great so there's just another push if you have kids in school to try to get right stuff like that well and it seems like an opportunity to do really cool work in yeah. education that is intersectional it, there's no guarantee and I think it, there's also an opportunity to further entrench white feminism, yeah. right? Like yep. there's a risk there and there's an opportunity there. And so mm -hmm. I I hope that anyone who listens to this is pushing for efforts that are intersectional. Um, yep. There were a couple other things I wanted to mention with this though, that my former employer is making lots of cuts to humanities programs. And one of my um, former professors at where I went to grad school just sent this email out about the University of Wyoming that they, their state legislature, their state Senate just passed a budget amendment barring any general funds, federal funds, or other funds under the control of the university for the purpose of gender studies courses, academic aid programs, co-curricular programs, or extracurricular programs. And not surprisingly, it's sponsored by a woman, a white woman, Sherry Steinmetz from Lingle, Wyoming, a Republican. She said, we're training activists when arguing in favor of nixing the funding. And that when she found out what was being taught in that department, it caused her to lose sleep. Um, so that they passed this budget amendment that says um, the university can't spend funds on women's study, gender studies programs. Um, Jacqueline Bridgman is a law professor and the director of the Culture, Gender, and Social Justice School at UW and said that no one from the legislature reached out to representatives from the school on the topic prior to the vote, which also did not surprise not me. Um, no. And then t this was interesting, though. Senator Tara Nethercutt is a Republican um, in Cheyenne and a lawyer. And she asked, is this amendment in violation of the Equal Protection Clause of the U.S. and Wyoming constitutions? This amendment is so broad and it's completely unacceptable and I believe unconstitutional and completely unlawful. I appreciate that you don't like the program. It appears to have some problems in balance. I will submit that. This is not our place, um, which mm -hmm. I thought was interesting to mm -hmm. have, you know, even a Republican yeah. State well. senators saying like, wait, wait, this is probably unconstitutional. Anyway, yeah. the Senate's draft of that budget will move forward with the amendment and then it has to reconcile, um, you know, with the House. So we'll see what happens there. But just to keep an eye on that. And for any listeners in Wyoming, I think what's right. like 
even if you can say we shouldn't have a standalone month or department, like I think the criticisms of that, that I can appreciate are the ones that are like, because it should be in everything. Right. Those, I think the, the impetus behind this is like, because that's gross, <laughs> like, yep. because we shouldn't learn about that at all. The last piece I wanted to leave us with is, um, this professor, history professor at Arizona state university, Leslie M. Alexander, who I really want us to reach out to because I started going down a rabbit hole of her work. You can follow her on Twitter at Leslie Malex, L-E-S-L-I-E-M-A-L-E-X. Um, she identifies as a historian, professor, author, activist. And she, when I was looking up Gerda Lerner, came across this article that she wrote um, for the Journal of Women's History, The Challenge of Race, Rethinking the Position of Black Women in the Field of Women's History. And again, we'll get into Gerda Lerner a little bit more, hopefully in the future, but she Edit, is a white woman who edited the first anthology really focusing on Black women called Black Women in White America in 1972. And she also wrote this article kind of mapping out the history of women's history as a subfield. And mm. so Leslie M. Alexander is following up with that article and um, is appreciating the work of Lerner, which is part of why I'm also curious about her, but says, um, despite the like the importance of those early approaches for a woman-centered history and arguing for a common sisterhood among women that actually the most significant progress has been made since the 1980s when Black scholars were raising critiques about the implicit racism in women's history that systematically overlooked how race and class functioned in the lives of women's of women of color. So it just go with me for a few minutes because this article was so great. And I think she brought up points that I have not fully digested and know that I need to. So mm-hmm. She's talking about how this scramble, like a well-intentioned scramble, perhaps to incorporate race into the historical narrative, while critically important, was often clumsy, awkward, and strained. The problem, she says, is twofold. First, although feminism is a useful paradigm for white women, the attempt to force black women into the same interpretive model is not applicable and has prevented full understanding of black women's lives. The deeper yet interconnected issue is that despite vast improvements in our intellectual approaches, women's historians have failed to respond adequately to the critiques launched by black scholars nearly two decades ago. And I think Mm -hmm. this is important because she's speaking specifically about like the field of women's history, which ostensibly is part of what national women's history month is supposed to like lift up and draw attention and resources to. Mm -hmm. So, um, she's wanting to move past what she calls the contributionist model of like, Oh, black women did these things. or like, Oh, also let's think about black women. She says this movement demands a broader understanding of the role of race and class in the lives of women of color and urges women's studies and the women's movement to become more expansive in their interpretations. As Gerda Lerner stated, the frustration among black scholars stemmed from the conflation of woman with white woman. Despite mm-hmm. serious problems with racism within the movement, feminists traditionally relied upon the notion of a common sisterhood among all women, both politically and intellectually. Yet women of color maintained that such a perspective eliminated the possibility that there could be multiple definitions and meanings of womanhood. The reality, black scholars argued, was that race and class created a chasm that make a singular unified womanhood impossible. And so she's really pushing on this idea that there is anything like a single womanhood that that doesn't even exist. Mm -hmm. And she's saying we've been better scholars. She said, have gotten a lot better at that first criticism that when we say what woman, we have like an implied whiteness in that term Mm -hmm. and that they've gotten, you know, better at unpacking that. But she says, um, the field has not fully engaged this idea of homogeneity. Um, So she said what ended up happening then is it's just incorporating race into women's history by focusing exclusively on oppression in particular, 
she's referencing these women's historians, struggled to understand how race exacerbated gender discrimination. When class and sexual orientation were added to the discussion, it led to interpretations of triple and quadruple oppressions. Of course, as with contributionism, this understanding of multiple oppressions was certainly useful in its time. However, it ultimately failed to explore the full meaning and function of race. Um, and she's saying that that is what most women's historians have yet to grasp, that race is not simply about oppression. In reality, race influences culture, community, political worldview. What they've discovered to this point, what they have discovered to this point seems frightening. That black cultural distinctiveness contradicts the use of feminist interpretive models because these paradigms do not generally fit with black women's experiences. The concern, of course, is that acknowledging the shortcomings of feminism will undermine everything that women scholars and activists have fought for. Yet the incompatibility of traditional feminism with the black experience has been undeniable. And she points specifically to the idea of kinship and community and family Mm -hmm. as like impossible to disassociate from black women's experiences. And so when you have a gender only feminism, like what Jesse Daniels was talking to us about last week, it's not a useful model to understand black women's lives um, at all. And so what Leslie Alexander is saying is black women's history is fundamentally different, both in content and in focus from white women's history for women's history and women's studies, black women's tendency to resist feminism and to embrace identification with the black community raises important questions about the position of black women within the academic field. How do black women fit into the field of women's history? If black women are culturally oriented in a way that privileges race or at least places race on equal footing, then what is our place in women's studies? Is it possible to reconcile what appears to be a glaring contradiction? Um, Um, So she's talking a lot about like methodological challenges with this, theoretical challenges with with this. Um, But the point she's making that I thought was most profound or most helpful to me personally was this need to study black women in their own right. She says, we must resist the temptation to use black women solely as comparative models through which we can explain other phenomena. We must also explore the activities and contributions of black women as members of the black community. In order to understand the influence of race and gender, historians must be willing to ask important questions. How did Black women live their daily lives? How did they view themselves and their role in the Black community? What did they believe? What was their worldview? What liberation strategies did they embrace and why? The only way to answer these questions is for all women's historians to use the strategy employed by Black scholars, bring Black women's voices into the core of analysis. The challenge remains for us to analyze Black women through their own eyes rather than through the lens of whiteness and oppression. Um... So I I just thought this was so powerful and her push that feminism is just one manifestation of womanhood and there are lots of expressions of women's experiences and that we have to be really committed to and willing to explore those differences. Um, This last quote I'm going to read and then we can unpack it. Um, She says, if women's historians are willing to delve into the differences among women, they will discover that there are rich layers of depth and intricacy that can enrich our understanding of women's experiences. Rather than lose a gender analysis, we will uncover the range of existing womanhoods. As Audre Lorde lamented in 1979, the failure of the academic feminist to recognize difference as a crucial strength is a failure to reach beyond the first patriarchal lesson. Divide and conquer in our world must become define and empower. Race, culture, community, class, sexual orientation, all of these factors influence and act upon women's lives in ways that we are just beginning to explore. We must not be afraid to grapple with diversity, difference, and complexity, for only by dealing with these issues can we truly understand women's lives holistically. So Hmm. what do you think of Alexander's like critiques and questions in relation to thinking about an idea like Women's History Month? 
It reminds me of when we were talking to Jesse last week and about the question she got asked about whether or not she was a white feminist. Mm-hmm. And she mm-hmm. brought up um, the quote from her friend, oh, Florence, I'm going to forget her name now, Who? but her quote that was very famous and oh, got Florence used Kennedy? a lot. No. Oh, no, Flavia. Flavia. And I can't think of her last name. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Um, where she said, my, my feminism will be intersectional or it will be bullshit. Mm-hmm. And I think that Unfortunately, like a lot of the history of of feminism and white feminism is just a lot of bullshit because it's not intersectional. And I think that's what she's talking about, like this analysis of it, but not just as a way to compare it to like white women, mm-hmm. like an analysis in its own right and being on an equal playing field with white women's experience and using that as a strength rather than something um as as the lord quote says to divide and conquer but it's really also reminds me of like what i was saying when i was much younger and didn't understand people who weren't feminists it's just that lack of even thinking about it like it's not an intentional thing mm-hmm. i think for a lot of especially people we would think of as well meaning progressive people to not consider that but it does take like an actual realization that there has been so much that's been left out. Um, and once you see that, as we were talking about last week too, you just can't unsee it. So, yeah, I, it really pushes me to think about possibilities of what women's history month can and should be well beyond like, not to knock your kids, but like a bulletin board, you yep. know, like, Beyond just saying like, hey, learn about this cool lady. I I have like every children's book about that for my kids yeah. to read. Like yeah. I want, it's not that I'm opposed to that, but that, that can't be all that it is because mm-hmm. then that still does keep this understanding of even what it means to be a woman or what it means to be feminist or what it, like just the depth of whiteness and settlerness and straightness and all of it that the depth at which all of that influences how we're even framing attempts to do better. Um, I really, really appreciated this article by Leslie Alexander to just say like, Hey, if even your like contributionist approach or trying to be more inclusive, if it's still in your frame of what constitutes womanhood or what constitutes feminism either is going to just fall severely short of being able to understand these experiences. It's like, I I, I was thinking when I was reading it, that it's, it's like having another language that you can't, you truly can't translate Mm -hmm. the words. Like Mm -hmm. I can do, like I can technically translate it maybe, but there's no way to convey the essence and spirit of that utterance. Because if you aren't, steeped in that culture and understand all of the nuances and the, like everything that it's situated in, it's impossible to fully understand the meaning of that phrase, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, that's how it feels is just like recognizing like, oh, we're actually, these are different languages that you, that are never fully translatable and that there are ways of being ways of thinking and dreaming and imagining in languages that are impossible in my language because like, I literally don't have the words or framing for it. Mm -hmm. So you have to get outside of it. And that, that is so hard to do, but maybe that's what women's history month can be is a challenge, especially to white women, cis straight middle-class white women like us to 
get outside of ourselves as much as we possibly can and not have it be about like girl power, but about getting outside of ourselves to be part of something much bigger. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's perfect. Perfect Happy Women's History Month. All right. (laughs) Challenge yourself. (laughs) Challenge accepted. (laughs) Double dare. Well, we'll link in the... Double dare. We'll um, we'll we'll uh, link to this article. I think it is such a good read to really think okay. like, yeah, how am I doing that? But um, great. Yeah. Good luck, everybody, awesome. and we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.